Thank you so much for leading us. I'm grateful too for our children. We have wonderful children here, beautiful children, and we want to send them out for our children in worship time. Ya es el tiempo de niños en adoración. Our boys and girls, three years old up to fifth grade, go for that time. We also have our infant and toddler nursery available for babies up to two years old. Tenemos la guardería infantil para niños hasta dos años y el tiempo de niños en adoración para niños de tres años hasta quinto grado. And parents, if you're here for the first time, not sure where they're going, you're welcome to go out with them, see where they're at. They'll be in great hands, and you can pick them up there after our worship time. The rest of us, we're going to get our Bibles out. Uh, so appreciated what Cody said about our, our reading plan and reading the Bible every day. And if you're looking for another way to do that, we're in a new series today on the book of Revelation, and we started that last week. We're going to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 today. That's the last book of the Bible, chapter 2, 1 through 7. Estamos mirando Apocalipsis, capítulo 2, versículos 1 a 7. Actually, the focus today is on all of chapter 2 and 3. That's a lot. And each week we're going to be looking at a lot. So what I want to invite you to do is ahead of time each week to read the chapters for the next Sunday. Quiero que lean los capítulos para el próximo domingo. Next Sunday, it's going to be Revelation 4 and 5. Real simple to remember. Just put your hand up, 4, 5, 4, 5. You got it, okay? So that'll be for next week. And if you do that, here's the encouragement. I believe you will get a lot more out of what we're talking about because we're just covering so much. Van a sacar más jugo de mensaje si leen de antemano el texto la próxima semana que va a ser capítulos 4 y 5. So I'm going to be starting with chapter 2, 1 through 7, and we'll be referring to other parts as we go along. Uh, and so I'll read, him first. I'll read it first in Spanish, then we'll read it in English. Jesus is the one speaking here. Jesús habla aquí. Y dice lo siguiente. Escribe al ángel de la iglesia de Éfeso. Esto dice el que tiene las siete estrellas en su mano derecha y se pasea en medio de los siete candelabros de oro. Conozco tus obras. Tu duro trabajo y tu perseverancia. Que se no puedes soportar a los malvados y que has puesto a prueba a los que dicen ser apóstoles, pero no lo son. Y han descubierto, has descubierto que son falsos. Has perseverado y sufrido por mi nombre sin desanimarte. Sin embargo, tengo en tu contra que has abandonado tu primer amor. Recuerda de dónde has caído. Arrepiéntete y vuelve a practicar las obras que hacías al principio. Si no te arrepientes, iré y quitaré de su lugar tu candelabro. Pero tienes a tu favor que aborreces las prácticas de los nicolaitas, las cuales yo también aborrezco. El que tenga oídos, que oiga lo que dice el Espíritu a las iglesias. Al que salga vencedor, le daré derecho a comer del árbol de la vida que está en el paraíso de Dios. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So it uh, is a rather cruel science experiment. Maybe you've heard of it. Es un experimento cruel. But I'm going to talk about it because I think it illustrates a powerful truth. Ilustra una verdad poderosa. Here's the experiment. You take a frog in your hand. Sostienes una rana en tu mano. And you hold it over a pot of boiling water. Le sostienes sobre una, una olla de agua hirviente. You know what happens? The frog instantly senses the heat and he's out of there. He'll jump out of your hand. He'll go away. Se escapa la rana por el calor. Now take that same frog, stick it in a pot of cool water, put it on the stove, turn on the heat, and let it heat up slowly. Si pones la misma rana en una olla de agua fría en la estufa, la calientas, what happens? The frog stays put. Se queda la rana. As the water gets warmer and warmer and hotter and hotter, the frog will do nothing. No hace nada la rana. Why? Because you see, frogs are cold-blooded. What that means is that they adjust their body temperature to their surroundings. Ajustan su temperatura, su ambiente. And so, as it gets hotter, the frog will not notice and will not care. A frog will happily, happily boil to death rather than jump out of what it thinks is a comfortable place. Una rana felizmente hierve y muere en vez de saltar de lo que parece un lugar común. Now the moral of the story, the, the moral of the experiment, if you want to put it that way, is that seeking comfort is not always the best thing. Buscar la comodidad no es siempre lo mejor. Seeking comfort, in fact, at times can be deadly. It can be deadly. Buscar la comodidad puede ser algo mortal. That's true when it comes to frogs, but it's also true, I think, when it comes to our faith in God. Así con nuestra fe en Dios. Last week, as I said, we started this new message series in the book of Revelation, and uh, I set before us last week the goal that we wanted to look at this book of the Bible with fresh eyes. We wanted to try and understand this often misunderstood part of God's Word. Estamos intentando leer Apocalipsis con ojos nuevos para entenderla mejor. But in order to do that, in order to read Revelation with, with fresh eyes, I think one thing we need to know is that it will not always be a comfortable experience for us. We're going to squirm a little bit as we go along. No va a ser siempre una experiencia cómoda, but that's not bad either. And I think that's certainly the case as we today are looking at Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Así es con Apocalipsis 2 y 3. So within the letter of Revelation, we have here in chapters 2 and 3, seven letters. Hay siete cartas. These are letters dictated by the Lord Jesus to seven ancient churches in a pretty reduced area, pretty limited area in what is now Western Turkey. It's called Asia Minor. That's what it was called back then. Son cartas a siete iglesias antiguas en lo que es Turquía Occidental. And these letters were, as I said, dictated by Jesus, and they're written down by John, the sacred writer of this book. He's on the island of Patmos. You can kind of see it in the map there. He's just off the coast of Turkey. He's in exile. He's in 
in the Spirit, and Jesus dictates these letters to the seven churches. Juan está en la isla de Patmos, sufriendo por el nombre de Jesús, y Jesús le dicta estas cartas. To help us appreciate what these letters are saying, we need to know something about the context. What's going on at this time? Well, I can tell you that what's happening is that these seven churches and the Christians in them, in a sense, are living in a pressure cooker. Están en una olla de presión. Why? Well, it's because they're living in a society that is dominated and surrounded by the Roman Empire. Están en, en una sociedad uh, llena del Imperio Romano. And what that means is that everything in this society is all about Roman values. Roman pagan religion, Roman morality, or shall we say immorality, Roman ideas. It's all about Rome. Es, son, es la religión romana, la moralidad o, o inmoralidad romana. And they just can't escape it. In fact, in every one of these seven cities, if you were to walk around them, what you would see on almost every street corner would be some sort of temple, some sort of shrine or some sort of sacred place dedicated to a Roman or Greek god or goddess of their whole pantheon. Hay muchos templos a los dioses y diosas romanas. I mean, every deity possible from A to Z, from Artemis and Athena to Demeter to Dionysius to Zeus, hay dioses y dioses de Artemisa, Atenea, hasta Zeus. And then there's the emperor himself who is worshipped as a god and considered to be holy. También hay, hay templos al emperador. That's Caesar. And connected with many of these temples, what do you have? Well, you have all kinds of feasts and ceremonies where food is offered to the gods as sacrifices, but you've also got what is called temple prostitution, all kinds of sexual promiscuity connected with the worship of these gods. Hay la promiscuidad y la prostitución conectadas con estos dioses también. It's just saturated. You can't get away from it. And we need to understand that the worship of these gods and goddesses is not just, you know, kind of an optional extracurricular activity for those that like that sort of thing. No es, no es como una actividad opcional. No. You see, every career, every vocation in the society is connected to one or more of these gods. Cada carrera tiene su dios. And so uh, carpenters, uh, farmers, plumbers, politicians, every one of them has their own uh, patron god or goddess, or many of them, uh, tienen cada carrera, carpinteros, rancheros, plomeros, sus dioses y diosas. And if you're in that career, think about the career you're in. Whatever career you're in, you are expected to tip the cap to those gods. Tienes que reconocer a esos dioses. If you're going to be successful, and if the whole vocation is going to be successful you've got to you've got to recognize the gods what does that mean you've got to go to their ceremonies you've got to eat their food you've got to salute them and hail them and worship them hay que ir a las ceremonias y comer la, la comida why if not everybody's going to be upset it, 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 to, to use kind of a crash illustration it's kind of like a spiritual vaccine mandate es como un mandato de vacunación espiritual. In other words, if you don't go to the ceremonies, if you don't worship the gods, you run the risk of infecting everybody with the wrath of the gods. 
And that means that if you don't go along, you're in trouble. Si no adoras a estos dioses, infectas a todos con la ira de los dioses y diosas. And so, what does this mean? It means Christians are in the crosshairs. They're a target in this situation. Los cristianos están en el punto de mira. In fact, you know what they call Christians? In that time, they called Christians atheists. Llamaban a los cristianos ateos. Why? Well, duh, they don't believe in the gods. They don't believe in the gods, so they're atheists. Son ateos porque no creen en los dioses. And so, what choice do you have? Either you go along or you get persecuted. Those are the choices. O te llevas con ellos o estás perseguido. And so in the middle of this, Jesus is communicating to these seven churches, to these Christians there, and, and really what he offers is a mixture of both comfort and, and of challenge. Hay palabras de comodidad, y, oh, de, de ánimo y de, de reto aquí. And if you read these letters, what you find Jesus doing is really what, what, what preaching is supposed to do. Someone said that preaching is about comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Él, él consuela a los afligidos y aflige a los que están cómodos. How does he do that? Well, in every single one of these letters, he begins by telling them who he is. Les dice quién es. If you look at it through chapters 2 and 3, he says, these are the words of him who. Esto dice el que. And then he describes himself. And who is Jesus? ¿Quién es Jesús? Well, Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars in his hand and he walks among the seven lampstands. What are the seven lampstands? Those are the seven churches. As we said last week, he's with them. I'm right there with you guys. I'm among the seven churches. Estoy con, los, con las iglesias. Who is Jesus? He's the first and the last, the one who died and rose again. We talked about that last week. He's got it all under control. Es el primero último el que murió y volvió a vivir. Who is Jesus? He is the one who, who has and holds the seven spirits of God. Tiene los siete espíritus de Dios. Now, we'll talk about this as we go along in Revelation, but, but it is believed that the seven spirits of God is actually a designation for the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is seven being the number of being complete and whole. That He has the Holy Spirit of God. He is the one full of the Holy Spirit. Los siete espíritus tienen que ver con el Espíritu Santo de Dios. Who is Jesus? He's the faithful and true witness. He's the ruler over all creation. El es el testigo fiel y veraz, el soberano sobre toda la creación. You know, those are comforting things to think of Jesus, right? Think of him as, as the first and last and the one who's got it all and, and he's got the spirit and he's with us. But at the same time, Jesus notes, I'm the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword. He's got the sharp sword of God's convicting word. Él tiene la espada aguda de dos filos de la palabra convincente de Dios. Who is Jesus? He's the guy with eyes of fire and feet like burnished bronze, which I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound uh, you know, real comfortable. It sounds kind of intimidating to me. I wouldn't want to meet a guy with eyes like fire and feet like bronze. Tiene ojos de fuego y pies como bronce rojo vivo, que es intimidante. Who's Jesus? 
He has the key of David and he can open or shut at will the door to eternal life. Tiene la llave de David para abrir y cerrar la vida eterna. Now, that's a little disquieting that he's got the keys and he's in charge of who goes in and who doesn't. Far from comfortable. But you see, that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. No es nada malo. Why? Because these churches don't necessarily need to be comfortable. That's not what's needed here. No necesitan ser cómodos. In fact, here in these letters, Jesus is going to begin to confront the ways that these churches are being tempted to accommodate to the culture around them, to conform to the temperature, the spiritual temperature around them, like frogs in a pot of lukewarm water. Jesús confronta cómo se ajusta a la temperatura espiritual como ranas en una olla de agua tibia. And he's going to do that by saying, I know you. I know you. Los conozco, dice Jesús. For example, in the reading we just had from uh, the church of Ephesus, Jesus says in verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men. Conozco tus obras, tu duro trabajo, tu perseverancia, en que no puedes soportar a los malvados. Good for you. You do good. That's great. I know you. Yet, verse 4, he says, I hold this against you. I also know you have forsaken your first Love. Sin embargo, tengo en tu contra que has abandonado tu primer amor. There's a problem. And Jesus is diagnosing the problem and pointing it out. Well, I'll give you another example that is uh, pretty prominent. It's the church in Pergamum, chapter uh, 2, verse 13, 2.13, la iglesia en Pergamo. He says this, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Pergamum was filled with temples to gods. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Even when one of your own got killed. Sé donde vives, donde Satanás tiene su trono. Sin embargo, sigues fiel a mi nombre. No renegaste tu fe en mí. Good for you. You're living in a tough spot and you're holding forth. Great. I know that. Verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. No obstante, tengo unas cuantas cosas en tu contra. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Toleras ahí a los que se aferran a la doctrina de Balaam. What's that? This is referring back to the Old Testament of the Bible. If you go to Numbers 24 and Numbers 25, there you read about the prophet Balaam. And evidently, the, the idea is that Balaam the prophet tried to put a curse on Israel, and afterwards, he and the king of Moab, a guy named Balak, they tried and successfully tempted the people of Israel to worship their gods and to be sexually immoral with the Moabite women. And what did that do? It ruined the witness of Israel. Israel was supposed to be different. Israel was supposed to be a light. Balak y Balaam tentaron a Israel a cometer inmoralidades sexuales y idolatría. And so they were, they were going and going into idolatry and sexual immorality. And here, there are people inside the church saying, ah, so you went to an idol feast. So you said some words. So you hung out with a temple prostitute or two. 
No biggie. And Jesus is saying, yes, it's a big thing. In fact, as we go along here, what we're going to find out is that, that the two top issues in these seven letters are idolatry and sexual immorality. Those are the two biggies. Los dos temas importantes son la inmoralidad sexual y la idolatría. That's what they're facing. There's another group called the Nicolaitans that Jesus says, I hate them too because they're teaching the same stuff. They're teaching a, hey, you can fudge around with the idols. You can play around with sex. Everybody's doing it. And Jesus says, no, I'm not. And you're not. Lo Nicolaita también. And then chapter 2, verse 20, dos veinte. In the church of Thyatira, there's this woman that Jesus calls Jezebel. Esa mujer Jezabel. If you don't know the Old Testament, read about Jezebel. She was a wicked lady. She was the wicked queen of Israel. Heavily into idol worship and into sexual immorality. Jesús llama a esta mujer Jezabel de una reina malvada Israel en el Antiguo Testamento. And what does he say? He says, I have this. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Toleras a Jezabel, esa mujer que dice ser profetisa. By her teaching, what does she do? Look, she misleads my servants into two things. Sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Los induce a cometer inmoralidades sexuales y a comer alimentos sacrificados a los ídolos. So Jesus, no wonder he says to the church in Ephesus, you know what, you're in danger of your light going out and I might just come and take away your lampstand. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to show me. You're supposed to show my holiness and my way of living, but you're being chameleons and you're accommodating to their way of worship and living. Estoy por quitar tu candelabro porque se acomodan, se conforman a la manera de estos paganos. And then finally we have this church in Laodicea. Some Bible scholars say this might be us. In chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, 15, 16, Jesus says, I know you too, Laodicea. I know your deeds, that you are neither, hot, no, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Conozco tus obras, sé que ni eres frío ni caliente, ojalá fueras lo uno o lo otro. Por tanto, como no eres ni frío ni caliente, estoy, sino tibio, estoy por vomitarte de mi boca. Laodicea was known for its water, its lukewarm water, which was really gross. I mean, I'd, on a summer's day, I'll take a, a glass of cold water, and on a winter's day, I'll take a cup of hot tea, but I don't like lukewarm water anytime. I don't know about you, a mí no me gusta la, el agua tibia, but that's what they had in Laodicea. And Jesus said, I wish you were either cold and refreshing or hot and on fire. Be one or the other. But don't be this way. You make no difference in your society. So in all these letters, what is Jesus doing? He's diagnosing. He's pointing out the good, the bad, the ugly going on in all of these churches. Jesus hace una diagnosis, lo bueno, lo malo, lo feo en estas iglesias. But that's not all he's doing. With the diagnosis from Dr. Jesus comes a prescription for each church. Una receta para cada iglesia. A prescription of how they can, how they can turn things around. And I want to take you through them. Chapter 2, verse 5, dos cinco. To the church in Ephesus, he says, Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent. 
That is, turn around and do the things you did at first. Recuerda de donde has caído, arrepiéntete y vuelve a practicar las obras que practicas, o practicabas o hacías al principio. To the church in Smyrna, chapter 2, verse 10, dos diez, a Smyrna, he says this, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Don't be afraid of the discomfort of suffering for me. No tengas miedo de lo que estás por sufrir. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 16, the church in Pergamum, those días he says, Pergamo, he says two words, repent, therefore, bottom line. Por lo tanto, arrepiéntete. Chapter 2, verse 26, Thyatira, those 26, he says, or chapter 225, rather, only hold on to what you have until I come. Retengan con firmeza lo que ya tienen hasta que yo venga. And then there's the incredible case of Sardis, chapter 3, verse 2, tres dos Sardis. What does he say? Wake up, people! Right? Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Despierta, reaviva lo que es aún rescatable. And then he goes on to say, remember what you've received from me, what you've heard, obey it and repent. Recuerda lo que han recibido, obedecelo y arrepiéntete. And then there's Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 11, 311, Philadelphia, he says, hold on to what you have so no one will take your crown. Uh, aferra lo que tienes para que nadie te quite la corona. And then... There's the expanded prescription for the church in Laodicea. Y la receta de la Odisea, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. He says here, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Te aconsejo de que de mi compres oro refinado por el fuego. What is he saying? He's saying, you're rich. You got all kinds of money. Your bank accounts are loaded. Your spiritual bank account is empty. Start investing in spiritual things. Inviertan en las cosas espirituales. Get white clothes. Evidently, in Laodicea, the, the fashion was to wear black. La odisea, la gente se vestía de negro. He's saying, you're not supposed to be chameleons. You're not supposed to blend in. You need white clothes. Holiness. Living in a different way. Tiene que tener ropa y túnicas blancas. And then you need salve for your eyes so you can start seeing things spiritually. Hay que tener un guento colirio para los ojos para ver espiritualmente. And then he simply says, be earnest and repent. In other words, get on fire and get going for me. Se fervoroso y arrepiéntete. So there's a challenge. And with every single challenge, there's also a promise. A promise for those who are faithful, a promise for those who, as Jesus says, for those who overcome. Una promesa para los fieles, para los que superan. To those who overcome, you're going to receive, there's, there's a benefit from, from turning to me. Hay un beneficio. What's the benefit? Well, Jesus says this, to those who overcome, there's the promise to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Hay la promesa de comer del árbol de la vida en el paraíso de Dios. There's the promise that you're that you will not suffer the second death. You won't be condemned. No vas a sufrir la segunda muerte. There's the promise that you will have hidden manna and a white stone with your name written on it. En maná escondido con una piedra cita blanca con tu nombre. What is that? Well, the hidden manna we believe is Jesus. He's the hidden manna who's coming back. The bread of life. Maná 
Escondir Jesús, the white stone, we don't know for sure, but it would seem that the white stone with the name on it is an engraved, embossed invitation to the banquet of the kingdom of God. Because if you had a white stone with, with your name on it, you could get in. Es, es, es una invitación al reino de Dios. There's the promise to have and receive the morning star. That's Jesus. La estrella de la mañana vas a recibir que es Jesús. The promise to not have your name erased from the book of life. No vas a tener tu nombre borrado del de libro de la vida. You'll become a pillar. You'll become a column. You'll become a part of the temple of God. Una columna en el templo de Dios. And the promise to sit and reign with Jesus on his throne. La promesa de reinar en el trono con Jesús. In other words, what's the promise? For those that, that are seeking Jesus in worship and in witness who live for Jesus... The promise is, the reward is Jesus himself and all of his benefits. El premio es Jesús mismo y todos sus beneficios. You will inherit me. You know, it's a comforting message, ultimately. But we have to admit, it comes in a kind of discomforting way. Es un mensaje que nos consuela de una forma incómoda. And that's what's needed for these churches. And you know what, people? I think that's what's needed for us. Es lo que nosotros necesitamos. As I think about the society that these seven churches were living in, I have to say that I think that we are living in a day and age that is not that far away from what they experienced. Es una sociedad muy parecida la que vivimos. We live, I think, in a time where Christians, where followers of Jesus Christ more and more are, are being Uh, harassed, more and more being pushed to the side, more and more being despised. In fact, Christians many times are blamed for what's going on in the world and the wrongs of the world. I, I, los cristianos les echan culpa por lo que pasa mal en el mundo. Uh, we're living in a time when Christians are being in other parts of the world arrested, persecuted, even killed for their faith. A los cristianos los persiguen y matan por su fe. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but there are more Christians in the world right now being persecuted and killed than at any time in human history. The, the rate is greater than ever. Hay más cristianos perseguidos que en cualquier otro tiempo. And when you think about the world that we're living in and everything that's around us and the messages of our world that are constantly uh, coming at us, the pressure for us to conform is greater than ever before too. Hay mucha presión para conformarnos. You know, let's just go along to get along. That won't be so bad. Vamos a llevarnos bien y conformarnos. But these seven letters are saying that we dare not in this pressure cooker environment live like frogs in a pot of hot water. It's time to jump out into something better. Hay que saltar del, de la olla de agua tibia. And the letters uh, of Jesus in the book of Revelation, I think, are challenging us to do something that may be hard. It is challenging us to find our ultimate comfort, not in the comforts that surround us, not in the comforts of a secular society with all of its messages that sound so attractive and comfy and, 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 and just warm and fuzzy, to not find our comfort in that, but to find our ultimate comfort 
in the discomfort of a life of bold worship and witness for Jesus Christ, where we stick out. That's the challenge. El desafío es encontrar nuestra comodidad, no en la cultura, sino en un testimonio, una adoración atrevidas para el Señor. It's about what we said before, being light in the darkness. To be light in the darkness, you've got to stick out. I think the two things that they faced are the two things we face. Idolatry and sexual immorality. La idolatría, la inmoralidad sexual. It's still here. We're living in a society where uh, if God is kind of taken out of the picture, what happens? There are other things that rush in. For many people in our day and age who don't believe in God, the state is becoming God. Politics is becoming God. Para muchos que no creen en Dios, el estado de la política viene a ser Dios. Sexual freedom, sexual license, sexual free-for-all, that's the popular religion of our popular culture. I don't have to work very hard to prove that to you. It's in the messaging of everything in the culture right now. Hey, we got to have our freedom to be and do whatever we want sexually. El libertinaje sexual es la religión de la cultura popular. And Jesus says, don't get comfortable with that. No estén cómodos con eso. So as we go forward, um, we're going to be seeing in the next few chapters a number of visions in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be trying to understand a lot of what's going on in those visions. But I want to say one of the things we need to keep in mind is the condition of these seven churches and, and our condition. Tenemos que tener en mente a estas siete iglesias. And I think what we're going to find in these visions is that there's an element in every single one of these visions, an element of comfort, and there's an element of challenge. And I want you to be looking for that. Espero que puedan ver uh, la parte de la comunidad y el desafío en cada visión. So next week it'll be chapters 4 and 5. And I guess this morning where we want to land is this. I believe that God's word here is, is challenging us, each one of us, to identify where we might be uh, accommodating to the comforts of our sinful age. And it's going to be different for everyone. ¿Dónde nos estamos conformando a este tiempo? So we can jump out of the boiling pot into a vibrant, alive, active relationship with Jesus. That's the goal. And I think one of the things that is most humbling for me as I read through these seven letters comes at the very end in chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus is actually outside the door of the Laodicean church. Jesús está fuera de la puerta de la iglesia de la Odisea. How did Jesus get there? How did he get outside the door of the church? And he's knocking at the door. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, hey, anybody home? I, mean, I just hear Jesus, you know, hey, hey, you guys in there? Let me in, let me in. It's my church. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Mira que estoy en la puerta y llamo. Si alguno oye mi voz y abre la puerta... Entraré y cenaré con él y él conmigo. 
Those are not comfortable words. We often cite them as comforting words, right? Oh, Jesus wants to come in. I ask myself and I wonder, is Jesus outside our door trying to get in? Está fuera Jesús de nuestra puerta? It's not a comforting thought. We're looking at a city that needs Jesus. We're right outside our door, we see incredible need for Jesus. Incredible need. Fuera de nuestras puertas, hay mucha necesidad. Are we doing what God's called us to do? Or do we need to make an adjustment somehow? That, those are questions I wrestle with every time I drive onto the Sunrise Campus, every morning. God, what do you want us to do? Yeah, we're helping. Yeah, we're giving money here and we're doing things there. But is there more? I, I don't have the answers. I know who does. It's Jesus. We've got to let him in the door. Hay que dejar entrar a Jesús. Relating to Jesus Christ is not always going to be safe, people. It's not always going to be comfortable. But I tell you what, it's good. Because when you boil it all down, when you boil the pot down, there is only one true comfort in life and in death. And it's not your cozy blankie at home. It is Jesus Christ. That's your only comfort. Tu único consuelo en la vida la muerte es Jesucristo. So let's pray and let's, let's open up and let him in. Vamos a orar. Lord God, thank you for this word. Uh, as I preach this word, I just realize how uncomfortable I am with it and understanding the challenge here. And sometimes I just feel powerless. I just feel like I don't have the ability to, to change anything around me in and of myself. I have no influence. I have no uh, uh, power. And maybe many of us feel that way. We go to work or we go down the street or we, we talk to neighbors or friends who, whose lives are in a shambles and we don't have any power to change it. A veces nos sentimos sin poder para cambiar nuestras circunstancias. Lord Jesus, I, we know that you have the power. And so we want to start simply by saying, help us. We want to turn to you and we want to, we want to be passionate about worshiping and witnessing for you. Help us to do that. Ayúdanos a ser apasionados a adorarte y dar testimonio de ti. Help us this week. Help us to be different. Help us to, to embrace the discomfort of living differently for Jesus. Ayúdanos a abrazar la incomodidad de vivir de forma distinta por Jesús. To put on the white robes when everybody's wearing the black. To say the word of hope when everybody's hopeless. Lord God, wake us up. Light your fire in us. And fill us with the passion of your presence, your Holy Spirit. Llénanos de la, la pasión y el favor de tu presencia, tu Espíritu Santo. We ask this humbly in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. In tu nombre, Señor Jesús, te lo pedimos. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.